Uh, I want you to know that we have three sermons left in our study in Romans. Can you believe that? Three sermons left. We'll finish Romans the Sunday before Easter. And a couple weeks ago, a woman in our church came up after, after the service and she said, can I make a request for after Romans? She said, um, <laughs> she goes, when we finish Romans, can we actually go back and just preach it again? It's like, you are a glutton for punishment. Uh, you're a glutton for beautiful disruptions. But anyway, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna do a new thing. I'll tell you about that on Easter Sunday. But we have three more sermons in Romans. And what I wanna do this morning is I'm gonna preach an entire sermon on one word that is in verse 20 in your Bible. Uh, because uh, if you were here last Sunday, you know that I ran out of time. I knew I was gonna run out of time. I saved my entire third point for today. I'm gonna preach a sermon this morning on the word ambition. I, I wanna talk this morning about the incredible power of ambition in our lives, either for good or for bad. And in order to sort of allow you to see what Paul's doing with this word, let's actually just get right into it. I'm gonna to read to you the verses in and around verse 20, starting in verse 18 in your Bible. Will you look at it with me and I'll read it out loud. Here's what Paul does. We, we looked at this last Sunday. For I will not venture, verse 18, to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And last Sunday, point number one, remember, was all about worship. I said, there's, Paul didn't see a difference between witness and worship. He viewed his gospel sharing, gospel proclamation as a way to thank God for all that God had done in his life through God's grace. It was a priestly way of thinking about his ministry. And you see it right there in that verse. Paul's like, you're never gonna hear me talk about anything that I have done because it's always about bringing glory to Christ. What a great sentence, right? That's the kind of church we wanna be. Paul goes on, by word and deed, he says, I, this is what Christ is doing. He's bringing the Gentiles to obedience. Well, how did Christ do this? He does it by word and deed. That's gospel preaching and then demonstrations of spiritual power. Look at that by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And you remember last Sunday, I told you this was point two. Paul lived with this constant expectation that the Spirit of God would validate his preaching through supernatural displays of power. That the, 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 the preaching would happen and then there would be an immediate demonstration from the Spirit of God saying, this is true and you need to, and you need to tune in. And I, I challenged our church to start living with this expectation. And it's been an incredible week to get emails. By the way, thank you. All, anytime you send me emails about things that are happening in your, in your life, it's so encouraging. I got an email from a woman who told me the story of how she, she used the opportunity on an Uber ride to share the gospel and prayed the whole time that the spirit would move in this man's heart through that whole process. And then she actually reached out and asked if one of our pastors would meet with this man. It was an incredible story. I, I, got, I got an email from a guy who's been trying to share the gospel with, with, with one of his closest friends, someone who's really closed off, just a, a really hardened heart towards Jesus. And, 
after the sermon, he started praying that the spirit would give him insight into what this man needed from the spirit of Jesus in order to chink away at that hard armor. And he sent me an email and said, the Lord gave me a word for my friend and I shared it boldly. And we're now talking about faith. Amazing. How about you? How about you? It's not too late. I know that was last Sunday's sermon, but you can still apply it this week, okay? And then I had coffee this week at our lunch, actually, with a, a pastor missionary from India. His name is Ebenezer. Christopher and I met this man. He's here um, visiting some churches. We're actually praying about a partnership in India to share the gospel. And as I heard him talk about his ministry I just kept thinking, this is Romans 15. He, 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 he deals with so many challenges sharing the gospel in India. There's a whole class structure, classism in India that is, makes it almost impossible for people to consider converting to Christianity because it means they would, they would be completely exiled from their class, even people in lower classes. And so he has to pray and depend on the spirit for, for ways to get in there and talk about Jesus. He had these powerful stories. He told a story of people who are experiencing spiritual, like tormenting their oppression, and they go to hospitals to try to get healed and they never get healed. And he'll walk up to these people and say, this, he was very bold. He's like, forget about the doctors. Don't forget about the doctors. Come to church. G I promise you, Jesus will do something in your life. And it happens over and over. I thought, oh, do we need to hear that in the Western church? Amen. We need to hear that. Signs and wonders. Look at this. How does Jesus do it? How does Jesus do it right here as the gospel is being preached? How does Jesus validate that word? Through signs and sometimes that stuff happening in your heart. The spirit of God coming and saying, this is for you, my friend. You need to hear this through displays of power by the Holy Spirit. But then look at this, Paul goes on. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And this is the reason, now he's talking to the Romans, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, Paul says, you know where Christ has not been preached? Spain. I have to get there. And so I want to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? The Apostle Paul was absolutely controlled by a gospel ambition. He was controlled by this. I'm using the word controlled because look at verse 22. He says, this is why I was hindered from coming to you. I'm being controlled by something. I actually wanted to come to you, but I, I've been hindered. And then look at your Bible, verse 23. He says, I've actually, I've been longing 
to come to you. Paul says that several times in Romans, going all the way back to chapter one. I have longed to get to Rome so many times, but I've been hindered. And the Romans are probably hearing this going, Paul, if you wanted to come, why didn't you come? And Paul says, the reason I didn't come is because I have, I have a mission. I have a gospel ambition. My calling, my life mission is to preach Christ where he's never been named. And this is why I'm calling it a gospel ambition. Or if, you, if you're more comfortable, you could think of it as a godly ambition. Paul wasn't just controlled by any old ambition. He was controlled by a gospel ambition. Friends, can I tell you something? Not all ambitions are created equal, right? Not all ambitions are created equal. Lots of ambitions out there. But not all of them deserve the place in your life of top priority, the number one ambition. And so one of the things I'm going to be asking you throughout this morning is, what is the actual ambition that drives your entire life? Is it a gospel ambition? Is it a godly ambition? People are, people are driven by all kinds of different ambitions. There's so many people in our world who their number one ambition is to have the perfect body. Okay? The perfect body. Now, most of us are already there, so we don't, we're not worried about that, but... <laughs> But out there, you know, and they spend countless amounts of money, energy, social media posts. They build their whole life around that quest. Think how many people you know, they are driven by an ambition to win at all costs. Win, win, win. In business, in life, it's not good enough that I was salesman, top salesman the last three years running. If I'm not top salesman this year, my whole life is a failure. And not only that, I want that other guy to know I was top salesman again. And they're driven by that. I know people who are, their, their primary ambition is to retire comfortably when they're 52, 55, whatever, play golf, collect seashells. And that's their ambition. They're driven by it, right? How about, what about you? I'm just going to give away the whole sermon right now and tell you, here's my prayer this morning, all right? My prayer this morning is that some of us would get disrupted today in a beautiful way. And we would come to the realization, I've actually built my whole life around an ambition that God is actually not very interested in. And I've been running after it with everything I have. Think of the power of that ambition being replaced by one that God says, now I'm behind that. And I'm not telling we all, I'm not saying we all have to become the Apostle Paul. Paul had a unique calling, but I think I can say with absolute biblical confidence that every Christian should have as their number one ambition in their life something close to what Paul says in these verses. I am still here on this planet because I have something to accomplish for the spread of the gospel. Amen? Amen. So I'm praying for that this morning. I hope that happens in your life. Here's what I want you to do. Think with me for just a moment about how ambitions work. How do they work in your life? When you have an ambition, it keeps you from doing other things, even things that you also kind of want to do. 
But because of this primary ambition, you want that thing 1,000 times more than you want all those other things, sometimes even really good things, and so you don't do those things. When Kathy and I lived in Eugene, I, I, I knew a young man. He was one of the Young Life leaders in my Young Life area, and he was the most driven, focused, self-disciplined person I had ever met. We would be at a ministry event, and at 8.15, promptly, I promise you, every single night, this guy was like, okay, bedtime, 8.15, the kids would be praying to receive Jesus, he's like, bedtime, he's out. And I finally, I was like, hey, Dave, tell me, what's, what, what's driving you, man? He was a police officer in Eugene, and he was applying to become part of the DEA group, the Drug Enforcement Agency, which is a rigorous one year, I mean, you have to, you have to beat your body into submission. He was in bed at 8.30 every night. He was awake every morning at 4 a.m. training. His diet was the most unappealing thing I've ever encountered in my life. He was so driven. Why? He had an ambition. And so he would, that ambition allowed him to say no to other things. I even think about it in my own life. And I want you to start thinking about this in your life. So like, in the life of a preacher, Saturday night is pretty boring night, okay? It's kind of lame for a preacher. While you guys are out axe throwing and line dancing and whatever you're doing, escape room, I don't know, whatever you're doing, I'm, that's not what I'm doing. I'm home thinking about the sermon. Sometimes I'm suffering, right? Most of the time I'm just praying and you're never gonna hear me complain about that. Not, because on Saturday night, you know what's happening in my heart? I'm thinking, I my driving ambition for my life is that somehow, God, by your grace, tomorrow I could wake up and bring people a word that would help them. And if I have to suffer tonight, if I don't get to sleep tonight, whatever, I don't care. I, that, I will gladly give up axe throwing and line dancing for that, you know? Let me state it positively. We think about this. This is a gospel principle. You might write this down. A really clear gospel ambition will empower you to say yes to the most important things and no to the less important, even really good less important things. It'll empower you. You'll be able to go, this will be amazing and I could do this, but that will keep me from doing this. And this is the thing that I know I most want to accomplish with my life. Remember live on purpose last Sunday? This is what I'm here to do. Have you ever known somebody who has a hard time saying no? Sometimes we see that person in the mirror, right? It's like you just, you just always, you can't, it's hard to say no. And then you end up flaking on people and getting overextended and you're always late. Imagine the power of, having a focus that allowed you to say, I, that's an amazing invitation opportunity. I'm gonna have to turn that one down. So ambitions function like a decision-making grid and you use them in your life. It's interesting. It helps me make decisions about what I'm gonna do in my life. Paul had the clarity. Look at verse 22, 23. He had the clarity, he had the assurance he had the confidence to say, as much as I want to get to Rome, it's not going to happen because there's places I still have to go 
where Christ has not been preached. Think about, I guarantee you, Paul was invited to so many churches. Please, Paul, come visit us here. Come visit us here. Come speak at our men's retreat here. You know, Promise Keepers Philippi. I don't know. Paul was, I guarantee you, he was invited all these places. And he, there were times where he had to say, that's an amazing opportunity. And I'm sure God would use that, but I need to say no. It works in the church. In our church, we have a, Christopher talked about it. You'll hear it every Sunday. We have a very clear mission statement. We're building a community of Christ for the world. That's what we're doing. And people come all the time. Let's start, let's start this kind of a ministry. Let's start this kind of a, of a group. Here, can we do this? Can we use the building for this? And to be honest with you, it's so helpful to know. We have, a, we have an ambition a mission God's given us. We're building a community of Christ for the world. And any request, any ministry that doesn't fit that vision, we just say that would be amazing, but we need to pass. Now, how about you? How about your life? As you're thinking, as you're, I know you're thinking, I can tell by looking at your face, you're thinking. So here's my question. What is the actual number one ambition right now that drives you? What is it? Think how much, um, think how much trouble we get into or problems that happen in our life because we're actually being driven by an ambition that God wants nothing to do with. Many years ago now, I had coffee with a man who, um, had an opportunity in his business life to do something that was not ultimately going to be ethical. And he and I were talking and I, it was one of those moments where he was, tell, he was saying, what do you think pastor? And I, I said to him, brother, do not do this. Like I love you enough as your friend and your pastor to tell you at all costs, get out of this situation. And for some reason, he had this ambition, this drive in his business, and he did not listen to that advice. I mean, people don't listen to my advice daily, all right? So it's not about me. I'm just saying the real problem was not that. The real problem was his actual top ambition was directly in conflict with the spread of the gospel. And now he's lost everything. He's lost everything. And so this is actually really good. This is an invitation. This is an opportunity for all of us. So you say, I want this. Where, where do I get this kind of an ambition? Well, Paul tells us, verse 21. So look now at, at verse 21. This is an astounding move that Paul makes. He does that whole thing. This is my ambition, preach Christ. And he goes, and here's why. Here's what I, here's what I grounded in. And then he quotes from a verse at the end of Isaiah 52. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, here's my ambition. My ambition is to preach Christ wherever his name has not been mentioned. And he says, and here's where I ground that ambition. And then he quotes this, this obscure verse from the book of Isaiah. And every commentator 
looks at that and says, this is a really interesting move by Paul because if you remember, Paul actually got his mission directly from the risen Christ on the Damascus road. Do you remember this? Paul's on his way to Damascus to murder Christians. I talked about this at the beginning of Romans. The first beautiful disruption in Paul's life is Jesus, the risen Christ, knocking him off the horse, literally, temporarily blinding him. And then what, what you may, not, may or may not know is in that same moment, Jesus says, and now I'm giving you a mission. And your mission is to go to the Gentiles and open blind eyes and lead them from darkness to light. So Paul had, not only did he have a more immediate thing to ground his ambition in, it was more interesting. Like I would think he would tell the Damascus Road thing. If I had a Damascus Road experience in my life, I'd be telling that story every Sunday. You guys would be so tired of it. Man, Jesus knocked me off my bike and I'd, you'd be like so tired of it. And Paul says, I'm not, going to, I'm not gonna ground it in that. And the question is why? And here's why. Paul knew very few of us will have an experience like that, right? But every single one of us has this. Every single one of us. I think what Paul did is Paul said, I'm gonna now take that Damascus Road experience and I'm gonna go to the scriptures and see if there's any backing for it. Can I find corroborating evidence in the Bible? And I think Paul found it from Genesis to Malachi. And he just quoted one verse. Friends, can I, if you're holding your Bible, can I tell you something about the book you have in your hands? Just for a minute. Do you realize what a treasure that is? Can I make you a promise? If you spend your time meditating, praying, reading, soaking in this book, not only will you grow in wisdom, not only will you fall in love with Jesus, you know what else will happen? You'll discover the primary purpose for why you're here. You'll discover it. Gospel ambition gets birthed out of a deep reflection on this book. What is the purpose of God in our world? This book tells me. The more time you spend here, what will happen is, other ambitions, will, you'll, you'll start to realize, why would I pursue that? It's so meaningless. It's not gonna get me anywhere. But I find, I find things in this book that are so captivating. They're so powerful. I want to devote my life to this ambition. Last summer, I made a statement in a sermon. And at the time that I made it, um, I knew it was a really, the spirit was gonna use that statement. And this week, the spirit told me to say it again today. And so part of this is some of you are, have not, you're new since last summer, so you've not heard this, so it's fresh material, all right? Pastors like fresh material. But, it's, but more importantly, some of you heard it last summer and you didn't do anything with it. And so I'm gonna say it again. And I want you, this is a word for you, I promise you. This is for you. Satan loves a dusty Bible. Do you remember that statement? 
Some of you are like, I don't remember that, but that's why I'm saying it again. <laughs> this is for you. Satan loves a Bible covered in dust, especially if it's yours. He loves it. It's like one of his favorite things. He loves it more than abandoned kittens on the side of the road, okay? He loves this. Do you wanna know why? Because Satan is not threatened by a Christian who never reads their Bible. That's not a threat to him. But Christians who spend tons of time here, not out of legalism, out of a, God, I need wisdom. Do you know what will happen? This is the most important thing. The more time you spend here, you will come to the realization, wait a minute, God actually has a mission that he is doing whether I become a part of it or not. God is on the, God has a purpose. He's on a mission in our world. And the most important thing I could do with my life is figure out what that mission is and then get aligned to it. Thank you. I'm gonna give you a couple quotes to corroborate this. Christopher Wright wrote a book called um, The Mission of God's People. I wanna just share two quotes. This is so good. He said, um, listen to this. Christopher Wright said, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Isn't that interesting? Mission was made for the church. The church was not made for mission. It just turns it around. Because we do think that. We're like, we're kind of a big deal. We must be pretty important. What, are we, what should we do? But, 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 but God's saying, no, I have a mission and I actually created the church to accomplish that mission. Here's another quote that takes it to the level of the individual. We often ask, where does the story of God fit into my life? When the real question is, where does my life fit into the grand story of God? Why am I here, Lord? Why have you called me? Now, look, I am not telling you to quit your job. I'm not telling you to go into professional ministry. Some of the most important thing you could do is be incredibly competent and effective at what you already do, but just begin to do it for the glory of Jesus, right? That's what I want you to do. Let me talk about golf for just a minute to lighten the, lighten the mood, okay? Last year, I was watching the Masters. There's a new golfer on the tour. His name is Scotty Scheffler. Anybody heard of this guy, Scotty Scheffler? Okay, this is, this is, when I watch this person play golf, I'm like, I don't actually think he's a human. He might be an android. He's so, but there's something about when you watch, I remember watching the Masters, he won the Masters. And I remember watching him and I was like, this, I think this guy's a Christian. There's something about the way he carries himself. So then I, I, I watched a documentary and I did a little research and he had this amazing quote. He was like, golf is just a game. It's just a game. And somehow by God's grace, I'm kind of good at it. That's what he said, very humble. Okay, you could say that, okay? I'm somehow by God's grace, I'm kind of good at it. But my actual mission on the golf course is to bring attention to Jesus. And he does. 
And he also was really good at golf, but that's another thing. Okay, I'm gonna take you to three verses because now I wanna help you get really practical. This, the first one I'm gonna have you turn to, go to Colossians 4. What I wanna do right now is I'm just gonna share three verses that I think could help you. You're like, I need, I need a better ambition, okay? I need something that focuses me. I'll give you three places you could meditate on this week and then you can go to a lot, a lot of others. Um, I do love Colossians 4. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, just imagine you don't have to move anywhere. You don't have to quit your job unless it's a job that is asking you to directly do things that are not walking in wisdom, okay? All you have to do is be really good at your job, be really strong in your relationships in your neighborhood and add this as the primary thing. You, I wanna become a person in this setting who's known for wisdom and gracious speech. And not because I want people to think I'm amazing. You see why Paul says that? He says, Paul's like, I don't even care what people think about you. The point is that people would start coming to you to ask you things and you would always have an answer for people who are wondering about your faith. How powerful that would be, River West. So powerful. Okay, don't turn there. Here's a... 1 Corinthians 9, I'll just read a couple of verses here. You can go back and read this, write this down. 1 Corinthians 9 and 19. Paul, do we have this, Zach? Perfect. Though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I, I might win a, a, more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law. And why? That I might win those outside the law. Here's what Paul's doing. Paul is saying, I will, in this setting that I'm in, I will begin to be, I will begin to take on some of the cultural elements of this group. I'll never compromise my my integrity with Christ, but I will become a part of this subculture. Why? In order to win the right to share the gospel. Are you in a subculture somewhere? It might, not, it might be something you're not even all that interested in and you, you have an opportunity to become a part of that group, to build relationships. That is actually biblical. Paul did this. Amazing. I could quote others. Another one you might go to is Philippians chapter three, verse 10, where Paul says, the goal of my life is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I haven't already accomplished that, but I push on towards the goal. Paul's like, my goal in life is to know Christ so deeply. I know the power of his resurrection. Maybe for you, that's your mission. That's your ambition. Friends, can I encourage you? Remember, the Bible says, do not just be hearers of the word, become doers of the word. 
Find your gospel ambition, find it. Whatever, it doesn't have to be for the rest of your life. Make it an ambition for the next year. I wanna be a person who walks in wisdom, Lord. Find that thing, start living into it. Okay, one last principle and then we'll, we'll read out chapter 15. Here's one other thing I want you to notice. A focused godly ambition. So having a really focused ambition in your life will bring joy to your giving and diligence to your praying. You'll become more generous and you'll become a more focused prayer. Where am I getting that? Romans 15, I, I left off at verse 25. Let me just read a few more verses. Paul says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. Notice the repetition of the word pleased. And indeed they owe it to them for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and I have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul's talking about this offering he's been collecting, Macedonia and Achaia, that's modern day sort of Northern Greece and Southern Greece. Paul had been in doing ministry up there. He's been collecting monies and he's like, I wanna come to you, I wanna come to Rome, but first I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to deliver this whole offering to the saints in Jerusalem. So in order to understand what's going on here, we need to do a little geography. I think I have a map. Zach, can you put that map up? Look at that. <clears throat> Maps in church. It's amazing. Okay. See Corinth right there? That's where Paul is writing Romans. He's in Corinth right now. Look at the distance from Corinth. To, if Paul were to go from Corinth to Rome, that's about 700, 800 miles. If Paul... So that, that would be like the, the most logical thing to do. Paul, you're, in, you're about as close to Rome as you can get. And even the Romans are saying, why would you not just come to Rome and see us? Paul says, I've got one other thing I have to do. I have an ambition. That's a 2000 mile diversion. He's got to go all the way back up through Thessalonica, Philippi, and it was dangerous. This is not like hop on a red eye and you're in Jerusalem, you know, for breakfast, okay? This is not how travel worked. You never expected to arrive at any destination. It was so dangerous to travel in the ancient world. And the question is, Paul, why would you, someone else can take the offering? Paul says, nope, it's gotta be me. And the reason is because Paul knew this offering this represents the ambition. This is the way for the, the, those saints in Jerusalem who were, there was a famine, the, 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 the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were downcast, they were poor, they were needy. They wondered, is the gospel having any kind of an impact in the world? Paul knew, I get to show up to Jerusalem with money that total strangers have donated. I get to show up and say, Jesus is changing lives, changing hearts in the world. Paul said they were pleased. These were total strangers who were pleased to give. 
And that's how it works in the church. Did you know, um, did you know that in the church, Christian giving is always rooted in Christian gratitude? That's what it's rooted in. People give. I want, I've, I've said this before, it's, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I never want you to give out of a sense of guilt or obligation. I never want you to do that. I want you to give out of a sense of gratitude. God is doing something in our church. The gospel's changing lives. I want to give to be a part of this. That's how I want you to give. Amen? Amen? Some of you are like, I'm not giving today then, buddy. But no. <laughs> Prayer. Real quick. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus. I'm just going to do one minute on this. I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all, amen. Paul says, will you strive with me? Can I tell you something? Prayer is really hard sometimes. Prayer is so hard. I don't, I've never talked to very many Christians who say prayer is really easy for me. Most Christians say it's a fight. I have to fight for my attention. My agenda keeps coming in to my prayer. I'm, I'm praying for this thing and then I'm thinking about this other thing and it doesn't matter. You have to fight. You have to strive. What would help you? A really compelling gospel ambition. Do you have a mission in your neighborhood? Do you have a friend at work? Do you have an opportunity in your business to be a person who represents Jesus? Think how that would focus your prayer life. Oh God, there's nothing I could, nothing's more important today than, than this opportunity. Please, Lord, will you help me? Pray. That's why we're gonna have 32 hours of prayer. From Good Friday until Easter morning, we're just gonna gather and pray. I hope you've signed up. If you haven't, here's, here's your reminder. We're gonna pray because we believe that God answers prayer. It's an incredible privilege. And we're gonna pray because we have an ambition here. We have a mission. We're building a community of Christ for the world. And I'm so glad you're here to be a part of it. Will you bow your heads now with me? Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Father, we acknowledge that the Apostle Paul was an extremely unique individual in the history of the church. We are not being called to do exactly what Paul did. But we are being called to get a lot closer to his ambition than probably many of us realize. I just can't help but think, Lord, of the power that would be unleashed if the thing that we most want to do with our lives, each individual here, that thing that each of my sisters and brothers most wants to do also just happened to be the thing that you most want to do. And so God, would you speak even now? In this moment, Spirit, would you 
fall now in our midst. Begin speaking to each individual heart. I trust you, Lord, to do the work. There are hardened hearts here today, hearts that are inclined to maybe hold Jesus at a distance. Father, would you please soften those hearts in the next few moments by your grace? For some of us, we've come to the realization, my actual ambition is not really helping me. And I do think I'm supposed to lay it down today and take up a new one. Father, would you reveal that and encourage us, make it so? Most of all, Lord God, would you increase our love for Christ, our desire to glorify him. May we walk out of here just so filled with grace that it just shines in our world, we pray. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. I'm gonna...